Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Ben Graham with the news. A quick word from our latest sponsor, the Maine Tourism Association. Looking to get away from it all this dry season? Visit scenic Jerusalem's lot, stay at rustic Eva's boarding house, and take in the sights and sounds of the small town life. Visit our historic chapel and enjoy a night on the town. In the woods. With us. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, guys. Today, we are discussing Salem's Lot, the miniseries, the full-on three-hour miniseries version of Salem Salem's Lot. And Ben will be trying to lead this discussion. <laughs> Take it away, Ben. I believe most of this discussion is going to be... Uh, you two filling me in on what happened because I paid very little attention to any of this. I don't blame you. <laughs> it's amazing that they made a three-hour miniseries feel like I was watching it all goddamn day. It's a bit of a, an impressive feat. I've binge-watched things before, and this felt different. <laughs> yeah. You mean worse? Is that- <laughs> I mean bad. <laughs> this was a TV miniseries aired on CBS in 1979, starring uh, the, the guy that played either Starsky or Hutch. <laughs> uh, I don't know the guy's name. And a whole bunch of other people that no one's ever heard of. And also Fred Willard was there. <laughs> Fred Willard was the most surprising thing about this. I Okay, my first question, who was in charge of casting this? Someone who had not read the book. Clearly. <laughs> the number one question I had, like almost all of my notes were casting based. We talked about this while we were watching the show. It's like there were no, the age group was no 20 year olds. It was like you were a kid. Or you're in your 40s and mm-hmm. above. Yeah, zero, zero middle ground. And that just, and maybe I don't know if the book really described exactly how all of these characters looked, but you know, you have, you conjure an image in your own head, and every single character could not have been further off than they, what I imagined. I think they did describe a lot of them, though. I mean, we know mm. that Ben had dark hair. Mm. We know that Susan had boobs. We know that <laughs> Larry's assistant had boobs. Yeah. We know that Bonnie also had boobs. That's true. That's true. How and, could they mess that up? Well, in those three specific cases, they nailed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. Ben Mears, it was my first note is that I hate the casting in this. Yeah. The first thing we see is it starts just like in the book. Ben and Mark are in Zihuatanejo, Mexico, or wherever the fuck they are. And, uh, yeah, my first two notes are, I hate the casting, and why is Mark in brown face? <laughs> that was so weird. Like, they, there was no reason for them both to be as just filthy as they were. <laughs> like, uh, they're filling up vials of holy water, just covered in dirt for no reason. I- 
At first, I thought they were supposed to be really tan because they were in Mexico. Did anybody else think that? <laughs> no. That's what I thought. But then their clothes were covered in dirt, and they yeah, have a place filthy. to live. Like, why aren't they showering or changing their clothes? They're right. on the run because it starts out they're filling up holy water, and the jar begins to glow with the most 1970s special effect of I was, all time. I was excited about that though. Like, and then it never comes back. It never returns. Yeah, Nothing ever. Glo- what? What? What else? It glows at the end too. Got the same thing. Yeah, yeah, the same, same exactly. Which is the same scene. The yeah. same <laughs> scene. There. My question is: Why didn't the holy water in the church or anything else glow? Yeah, nothing. No. All of the cool uh, supernatural elements. It's 1979. Okay, fine. I'll give you some leeway. But like, there are so many really standout images from the book. Of when they enter the basement and their skin begins to glow, coating the axe head with yeah. the with the holy water and seeing this blue light. Uh, Father Callahan smiting the front door, which will fucking not get to because it <laughs> doesn't happen in this movie. They're just uh, not completely left out. Is there anyone in this movie correctly cast? I think uh, Matt Burke was okay. He, yeah. I thought he was too old. A little, yeah. Really? Because yeah. I, I imagine him as a very old man. Well, I, well, okay. So I imagine him older, but like that guy seemed old and fragile. I imagined him in his 60s, like getting close to retirement age, not yeah. in his 80s. Right. Oh. Not somebody who's been teaching well past the time they could have retired. Somebody who is... Like just coming up upon that time naturally. Okay, uh, I guess I I imagined him quite different then. I guess I was imagining him more as, uh, and I will never remember the character's name, but the old old professor from the dark half. Uh, the old your professor uh, Trelawney. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, the old wizened professor uh, from the dark half. I, I thought of him as uh, like an old grizzled old man. Uh, maybe because in the book they compare him to Van Helsing, uh, who yeah. I think is supposed to be old. Uh, I don't think but, Van Helsing is that old either. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, he no, Hugh is Jackman's Hugh Jackman. pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't <laughs> no, talk no. about that. <laughs> I thought that the opening on the Marston house was a pretty cool shot though that image of the full moon and the rest of the screen is just blank and then we get a light turning on in a house that we don't know we're looking at and then it brightens up and we see the marston house for the first time i completely agree i think throughout the book pretty consistently my favorite part of this miniseries was the marston house Mm -hmm. which uh serves the book well since it is such a an integral part of the book. It's like they blew all their creativity and, and energy on shots in that house. And then the rest of it, they're like, mm. that is 100% true. And probably true for their budget. <laughs> I, I read on, on uh, the most reliable source of movie news, IMDb's trivia page <laughs> that uh, the, the facade, the outdoor shots of the Marston house were a fake house that they build over top of a real house that cost $100,000. And then the inside set of the Marston house when we finally make it, which is, I, I even mentioned, 
was my favorite part of the movie. I think they yeah. nailed the mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. of the inside of the Marston house was another something like $70,000. Wow. Which for a TV miniseries in the 70s mm-hmm. had to have been an insane amount of money. Especially considering the amount of time they spent in the house, which was not very much. Yeah, really only the last, what, 40 minutes, maybe. Yeah. Can we talk about... Uh, Okay, our first image of Straker. Not a sexy bald man. No. <laughs> yes. No. Also completely miscast. That. Yeah. That act. Okay. I imagine that because of everything we see from Straker this, this entire movie, the audition was, hey, uh, the, your lines were great. Can you stare off aimlessly into the distance <laughs> for a solid 30 to 45 seconds with no dialogue and, and make it uncomfortable? Nailed it. Got it. You're <laughs> it. You're the guy. And I don't think that was the actor's fault. I think that was the dialogue that he was given. Because Absolutely true. he's supposed to be this charming, otherworldly character, and he didn't give that off. I think the actor did a good mm-hmm. job being sort of aloof and kind of snotty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, it was just not a good fit at all. I, he's such an interesting character to to do that to that character just kind of sucks. And I think that was, I think that's more on the actor than you do at least. Well, it depends because on I, the direction he was yeah, given. Yeah, definitely we don't on know. the direction also. But I mean, if you listen to like some of those lines, like you could have, he could have delivered those lines in a much more charming manner. The, the moments where he stares through someone with a blank stare, like that could have been, um, I don't know. And maybe it's just because I see, because Straker has so much power behind him that his attitude can be a little can be a little cocky mm-hmm. and be smarmy and there are moments where i feel like there were opportunities for that but instead we just got a blank stare into ben's face for a solid 30 <laughs> seconds before walking around him yeah, <laughs> things like they, that they really took their time with a lot of shots <laughs> that could have been edited interesting uh couple pieces of trivia since we have uh just placed a little bit of criticism on both the direction and the screenwriting <laughs> <laughs> this miniseries was directed by toby hooper who uh, notoriously was the director of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Mm -hmm. a classic horror movie. And Life Force. Striking visually. Another awesome vampire movie. Life Force. Don't listen to Ben. (laughs) Bonkers movie. Uh, Also directed The Mangler, uh, based off of another Stephen King short story about a laundry machine that gets possessed by a demon. (laughs) Uh, Not to be confused with The Cotton Machine, from Graveyard Shift? Oops. No, that that's that that's the oh, Mangler. Oh. Yeah, that's from Night Shift, which Graveyard Shift is about rats. I, yeah, that's they, a whole other yeah, episode. Yeah, guys. yeah, it's about rats, and a lot of rats die, and <laughs> I don't like it. It's. I've been reading Night Shift uh, this past week, and it's a great collection. But there's a lot of really crazy stuff in there. Uh, the other. Interesting bit of trivia. The screenwriter of this is a man named Paul Monash. Monash? He was the screenwriter of a little movie called Carrie, directed by Brian De Palma. What? Wow. That's insane, right? That is crazy. Because Carrie was good. Yeah, Carrie was good. There were several (laughs) scenes in this movie where I turned to you two and said, so... 
so did they forget to write dialogue in this scene? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> did they- I just sorry, I, my brain just exploded a little bit because I, I'm thinking back to when we talked about the movie Carrie, and I believe in that in that episode we had the discussion of like, man, they kept really weird pieces of dialogue yeah. that were straight from and the book, scenes. but they ignored some major things. And that's exactly what happened here. They picked the weirdest, most arbitrary dialogue to keep in word for word. Word for word. Hey, Josh. Yeah. Ciao. <laughs> what, what? what? What's that? Uh, it's Italian. It means goodbye. I didn't know you were Italian. I'm not, but that word is. <laughs> Delivered with, an, with just as much emotional range as the actors in the movie. That's not very nice, Ben. I try really hard. <laughs> no, that was a compliment to you guys. Oh, man. A mad burn to the professional actors <laughs> in this fucking movie. Uh, I don't know where to go from here. Do we follow the oh, plot? Oh, you, CM. you both made very exciting faces. <laughs> we have so much to oh, talk CM, about. What, what even is this movie? I made a very important note very oh. early on because it was clear very early on that Ben, not you, Ben, yes. Ben Mears <laughs> is a dick. That yeah. actor's choice, his face, his faces, his the way he delivers lines, he's just a dick to everyone. You would think that everyone around Ben was the outsider coming into Ben's world with the, with the way he reacts to everybody. Yeah. He gives people like these like weird looks like, oh, that, that seems weird. And he answers everybody who talks to him in like one or two word replies. Or smart replies. Like when... Uh, when he's Eva, looking at when, his room, yeah, and Eva yeah. asks him, "Yeah, hey, what do you write? Books?" Yeah, it's like oh, <laughs> really dipshit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Ben in the book is a nut job, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, because he is so quick to believe uh, all of the craziness that's happening. But that's that's his personality. I would argue in this movie, he just doesn't have one. He is. <laughs> So monotone, so nothing. Uh, even in his meet cute, big air quotes. I cannot wait to talk Susan, about this. <laughs> uh, there, there are a couple cute scenes of them falling in love by a lake. Uh, okay, that was weird that they don't go to the movies and get ice cream like normal people. Well, they just go to a lake. Can we talk about what a jerk he is to her yes. <laughs> from that first scene where they meet she's, yeah she's drawing minding her own business she's on the ground and she has his book open and it's face down so he he sees his own image so he knows what she's reading and he walks by and he starts criticizing her immediately like oh you shouldn't leave a book like that even if it's not a very well written one like on and on, and then like, oh, you want to go to a movie or you want to get dinner or whatever he says. Oh, that's that's how you got girls in the seventies. Just, just being being mean. a bully. <laughs> yeah, that's no, how that worked. Okay, such an asshole. And also, while they're like, he has this line, and it's repeated where she's talking to him, trying to hold a conversation, and then she stops herself to go, "I'm sorry, I know I ask too many questions," <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, well, I don't give enough answers." It's like that's. Because you're a dick. Like, <laughs> talk to this woman. You're on a date with her. Um, uh, about that meet cute. Uh, 
I, well, first, as we talked about the the casting, uh, that they, I was like, oh, they aged Susan up. She was an adult. She woman. was a, she was a grown up. <laughs> she was a full yeah. on grown up when they met, and I knew that Sam would be excited about that. And she actually had a personality. She did she great. Had, she had more of a backstory and stuff, and that was like, I was like, all right, this is great. And then she disappears for almost the entire movie. Yep. But here's the thing that I thought was interesting. Is that in their meet cute like, hey, do you want to have dinner? And she's like, yeah, that dinner is at her parents' house. He asked her to dinner <laughs> and they had that dinner date at her parents' yeah. house. So it wasn't, do you want to get dinner? It was, do you want to feed me dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Can I come back to your home for dinner? First, he criticized her. <laughs> For having his book on the ground, and then he asked her to feed him dinner. Yeah. Other, other than Susan, best actor in this whole show, hands down, was the crate. <laughs> I I was gonna vote for Weasel, who we only see in like no, two no. scenes. That was so bad though. Weasel's character was the caricature of what we cruelly call a hobo. Well, yeah, but he was really really acting the hell out of it. (laughs) Uh, And by acting the hell, I mean overacting more than anyone I have ever seen. This like jittery, like middle school level acting. The crate though, the the true monster, the true villain. (laughs) Yeah. That was so weird. I mean, we, we get this scene, the the way they combined certain characters and their stories uh, gave me hope that there'd be some really cool stuff that would happen because this happened pretty Josh. early on. <laughs> yeah, so I, know. Cute. <laughs> I know I was so hopeful, but so, you know, Crockett sends him to get the crate and the guy that he hires pawns the job off on two other people so he can go catch his wife cheating, which because, yeah, he's a combination of like three or four different characters. Right. I think we shouldn't even try to explore who is who because he's already so confused <laughs> About all the names starting with the same letters in the book, and then they changed it in the movie. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. I'll be able to remember. No, it no, made it worse. No, just no. Uh, Matt Burke is Jason Burke. Uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Cody just doesn't exist. And is Susan's dad for some reason? Floyd Tibbetts is Ned Tibbetts. It is uh, Danny is Denny. <laughs> no, sometimes <laughs> he's Danny. Sometimes oh, was he's he Danny? Danny. Yeah. Oh, only sometimes though. God, that was so weird. I, it's it made me question why it, it's. It reminded me of in the seventies. Was this a thing? Because notoriously in the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk TV show. Yeah. They changed his name from Bruce Banner to David Banner, right? right? Famously because they thought Bruce was a gay name. <laughs> that's literally... That is, I did not know yeah, that. that's true. Wow. Um, I'm surprised they kept in all the homoeroticism in Salem's Lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by that you mean two, a scene with any two men in it? Together, yeah. Which caused CM to go, they're gay. Just like <laughs> casually. Not me, the book. The book, yeah. yeah. The book said that hey, tone. They can do what they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was I, was it just a thing that they're like, uh, we're basing this off a book? Change everyone's name. Maybe they used some of the budget they had for extra actors on the house. <laughs> <laughs> we- <laughs> 
we 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 bought this really expensive house. We can't afford the name Matt. I'm sorry. We have to use Jason. Now. Yeah, Jason is half price. We- well, no, I mean, maybe that's why they combined characters. You guys, God. We we can only get the name Danny for half the shoot. What do we do? Not at all what I said. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we're we're in the the moving van. Oh, uh, so they they load up they load up this crate and you know it's cold because they tell you, "Man, it is cold no less than 2000 times." <laughs> and then the other guy touches it and and it takes him the actor, it takes the actor like 2 or 3 seconds to go Oh wait, it's supposed to be cold. I gotta. What do? How do you? When you touch cold, oh, ooh, yeah, it's cold. <laughs> but the absolute best part is after they've loaded up and they're driving it away. It is all the way against the back of the truck, and in the cab there's a window so they can see in the truck, and it just starts moving towards the cab. <laughs> this solid crate. That they didn't tie down or latch down or secure in any way while they're driving starts moving towards the front of the cab. It was a tense moment. Slowly creeping up as though the crate were a monster. (laughs) And it was going to go, And they keep looking back at it like, oh my god. It's getting closer. <laughs> when they take, when he takes his eyes off the road for like a full <laughs> 15 seconds as they're both, neither one of them watching the road and just staring back at a crate that's no longer moving. <laughs> and then he comes back and he's like, oh, I'm driving and like turns real fast. And we got oh. to see them load that crate in real time. We sure did. Oh, we got yep. to see so much of this movie in real time. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only reason this was three hours long is because everyone does everything real slow. <laughs> Which, uh, is that? Hey, do you a, think that was an intentional choice because it's a small town? It's a timeless town. It's <laughs> It really is. <laughs> we have time to watch this character walk down a flight of stairs. Uh, there was uh, my favorite, I think my favorite thing that CM said while we were watching it is in the, they have a scene where Ben shows up to them doing the school play when we meet Jason Matt and he goes up to him and he introduces himself uh, to to Jason and is like, you probably don't remember me. I'm just a famous author that you taught when I was in, in your school. And he's like, oh, of course I remember you. And they're like reminiscing. And I was like, so and he, and he goes, uh, yeah, I've read I've read your books. And Ben says, oh, well, I wouldn't have read them if it weren't for you. And I was like, so he's the one who inspired him to write? And Sam's response was, yeah, it's only three hours. They can't spend all that time developing backstories. <laughs> yeah. It was beautiful. But that, that is an underlying problem with this entire thing. Mm-hmm. They spend they spend so much time on the wrong thing instead of, I would have loved to see a, a full scene of the Ben and uh, Matt dinner. Spaghetti? The spaghetti. <laughs> We could have seen a five-minute-long scene of them eating a bowl yeah. of spaghetti in almost, real time. It almost looked like they it. were in an Italian restaurant, but all they had was whiskey. So yeah, yeah, oh, and that that was another thing. All of the the sets for businesses in the lot did not fit at all. Not even a little. Uh, the the set for Dell's, the rundown bar. Looked like a weird 70s swinger bar. It looked cool. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. hang out there. Not fitting with the small main town. No. And the weird stuff they did with the character, 
especially doesn't make sense because they added information about the Marston house. They added a whole other character to that. Some guy, Josh, who built it and then killed his wife and servant. And then the Marstons died mysteriously. Did you? I honest to God must have. (laughs) I slept through that part. I don't even remember that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that he, that's an exchange, not with Ben and Susan. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah. No. So, yeah, so they give that added history, and he mentions that the guy who built the house, like CM said, shot his wife, killed the servant, and then hanged himself, which is what uh, Hubie. Hubie did. Yeah, yes. but Ben but saw ben, Hubie when he went into the house. Yes, that doesn't make any Why? sense. Yeah, that's so dumb. This drove me insane is when he is telling this story, it's just Ben telling this story and a slow zoom on his face as he's like i walked upstairs and i saw him hanging there we didn't even get like a cool flashback exactly that would have been awesome this had been made today Mm -hmm. we would have seen that scene play out it it drives me crazy that we didn't it's like show don't tell why are you telling us this Mm -hmm. story that could have been an extra layer, you know? Yeah. They, it would take that story that has no weight to it because obviously we know everything was fine because he's sitting here telling the story and make it actually tense instead of seeing this restaurant we're in <laughs> and casually talking about this scary thing that happened one time. And it's so brief that you could miss it. Like Ben missed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. So speaking of scares, there were a few parts in the movie that I, I won't say were scary. They were cheap but jump scares. There were a few <laughs> cheap jump scares, but I feel like there were few and far between, but there were a few parts of this movie that were genuinely either well shot or genuinely eerie. Everything in the Marston house was mm-hmm. had that nice scary tone to it, I, but I feel like I, there was nothing outside of those set pieces that I was even anxious or what about the scene between Larry and uh, the guy with the shotgun whose name I definitely <laughs> can't remember now. So yeah, oh, God. I, thought, um, I thought that was, it was pretty well done and it was tense. Like I was, I knew it was going to happen, but I was eager to see how they were going to do it in the movie. True. Um, it was the shotgun scene from the book, which happened between Oh my goodness! You're good. You, I'm not good with names on the best of times. <laughs> it, it was supposed like to Billy be and the Roger. Sawyers, and it was yeah, Bonnie, Bonnie Sawyer, yeah, and Bonnie I, Sawyer is Larry Crockett's real ass, er, assistant in the, the movie. In the, the ju- movie, <laughs> in the book, it was just it was the the randos that yeah. were she was yeah. cheating on his hu- on her husband with the light guy, the cable guy, or the cable yeah. guy, or whatever. In this, she was, yeah, Larry Crockett's secretary, and uh, Larry Crockett was sleeping with her. Either way, the scene plays out the same way, with the husband catching them, putting the shotgun to Larry Crockett's head, and pulling the trigger. Not in his mouth, though. Uh, if he would have told him to put it, the shotgun in his mouth. I don't mouth. think they can do that in movies. Really? Yeah, because isn't that like a huge safety risk? Because well, they normally won't even point a weapon at an actor's head. They're not supposed to do that. Uh, Although it was the 70s, so I'm not sure why they cared. <laughs> I, I kind of assumed it was uh, because it was on TV and uh, oh, yeah, telling it the, 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 the 
putting the shotgun barrel in his mouth is very suggestive. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Uh, it's very like, Who is hey, faring with whom? <laughs> you may have been putting your dick in my wife, but now whose cock is bigger? My- <laughs> and also a 10 gauge. Like, um, but yeah, that was, that was tense. I did like that scene. I specifically was thinking of a, the scene where Ralphie Glick, not Danny, Ralphie is the first vampire we see. And he comes to the window of Danny. What did you guys think of that? I only had one problem with that. You know that sound when you run your fingernails against a chalkboard? Mm-hmm. Yes. They made that sound over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> as annoying as this is right now, yeah. in the movie is Danny's running his nails across, or Ralphie's running his nails yeah. across Danny's bedroom window. It's a terrible noise, but it's effective. I, I thought it's unnerving. I, I wrote extremely eerie because it's this full, like, full wall window and a smoke machine billowing outside of the window and the way they <laughs> to call it a smoke machine as you're trying to build this yeah. intense moment. <laughs> yeah it's really really intense <laughs> what is more fog. intense than a smoke machine <laughs> i the ralphie set up a smoke <laughs> machine like, how you yeah. right outside and then he got in a harness. Barlow's <laughs> holding it on yeah, just the I, side of the window. I that's how I've always imagined vampires. Is <laughs> when I think of vampires, I think of a uh, casket. I think of garlic and steaks, and I think of a, a smoke machine that they carry. Out. Fair enough. We do get to see him float up to the window, through the window, into the room in real time. That was. That was. <laughs> tense and it was creepy but it was also within like the first hour of this three hour extravaganza so i'd forgotten about it entirely (laughs) until you brought it up i think it was just too long yeah yeah uh i also think this might have been our first instance of josh's favorite thing that the movie did visually where it's uh danny or ralphie going to bite danny on the neck and he lands in his room and he floats right up to him and he opens his mouth and we see his terrible fangs and he goes and he puts his mouth near his neck <laughs> and the the shot freezes and it zooms in oh, and there's so a musical fancy. sting and then cut cut for commercial cuz this it. is a TV mini series hate it so much it's I, what? What do you think the origin of this is? I wish I knew. And it annoys me because it happens. And it's it's worse when it's clearly a freeze frame and zoomed in uh, onto it. Because also, you can tell it's it's old, not crisp, clear images. It just distorts it as it goes zooming <laughs> into it. Uh, but even when it's like a live action like it's i was talking about horror movies that like at the end somebody screams and it's a sharp zoom into their mouth that's stupid that's <laughs> stupid and it's cheap and you're a bad person for writing it, it in and editing it that way it looks so dated so and tacky. just destroys I, any tension i love cheesy but i hate tacky and there There's is a, a fine, fine line. line. I'd agree with that. <laughs> and I don't that know that I know the difference. Tacky. <laughs> and that's what makes me tacky. <laughs> uh, 
speaking of vampires going into rooms, Mark's room <laughs> is the greatest, most chaotic mess of anything I've ever seen in my life. More than his room, I hate the way that kid delivers his lines. <laughs> oh, yes, father. I am finished with my homework now. <laughs> it, it turns in the book, Mark is like my favorite 18 character. years old. <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea how old he has facial hair. Mark Mark is the same age as Susan, as far as the actors. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, in 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 the book, he's this like quiet and he's intense. Mm -hmm. But they translate it in the show to be a, a a little fancy boy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's how I would. In an offensive way. Yeah. Like, not not even, you know, how, like, you think of the Lost Boys and their, or um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and there are all these sort of, like, references, and it's mm. kind of cool, because you're like, hey, this represents something. Uh-uh, not in this. <laughs> no, he's just like this, it's the weird thing of no one talks this way. Why why does he talk this way? No. Uh which is weird because that does happen in King novels. But not Salem's Lot. The dialogue in Salem's Lot is pretty good, I would say. It's pretty normal. Except for weird. Is that what the kids are saying these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. that's, that's true. There are some time issues. <laughs> yeah, but like he Mark felt like a real character, and in this, he does not feel like a Mark real Mark was person. disappointing. He feels like a weird mannequin, honestly. Yeah. Well, and so the we have the uh, insane abundance of horror movie items all over his room, and I love that his parents basically having a conversation that they just don't understand their kid. <laughs> they, they basically it's like a five minute conversation that they could have just been like is our kid weird yeah our kid's pretty weird <laughs> and that could have been the end of it but they really beat her on the bush about their weird kid they could have really boiled it down to the point where mark asks his dad to tie him up <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah that was great this was absurd so like it, it's so obvious what they're doing they're trying to set up the scene later in the book where mark get, gets captured by uh, Straker mm-hmm. and he's tied up and he gets out of it because he knows how to do that. So Mark is in his room and his dad's like, Hey, are, are you weird? And he's like, no, dad, I'm cool. Hey, why don't you cuff me? <laughs> and his dad does. Yep. And then Mark, you know, does his thing and he gets out of it. And his dad's like, Haha, neat. And he's like, Oh, you think that's cool? Here, take this rope, tie me up. Come on, do it, do it, dad, do it. <laughs> and he's like, No, no that, that's okay. And you're just no, like, Really? We we needed that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the weird thing that that's the one thing they decide to set up for later. Yeah. Right. Very strange choice. I know, but I was excited for Mark's first scene of like being a real badass. Because we don't get... In the book, we have him kicking that bully's ass, which is mm-hmm. great. But so in the movie, his first chance to be a badass is when Danny Denny comes to his window and he fights him off with the cross. And so as soon as that scene started, I was like, hell yeah. My note was, Mark's about to be a badass. And it was the most wiener-ish thing <laughs> I have ever 
See, like it is so not true to that character yep. or how that situation went because like he's walking towards the window and like crying and the the cross just he just happens to be have it in his hand. No, he basically. looks over and he sees it on his table and That's he so he's he's looking at Danny and then he turns away somehow, which I thought was weird. Like if he was already looking at him, would he have had the will to turn away without the cross? Right. And he sees the cross and he grabs it and he's like, get out, get <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. Did I do just it? Really, yeah. yeah. And then the vampire the tone just and- <laughs> kind of very slowly floats away. The, the and child, they stop pumping the fog machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the child playing Danny just waved both of his hands in front of his face in circular <laughs> motions. And and slowly backed away. Like it was it was not visceral or intense, like how it's written in the book. As soon as the cross gets near them, they're like screaming and backing mm-hmm. away as though you had had just burned them. But no, he just casually floats away, it's, waxing on and waxing off. <laughs> and it's that's and, it. And it's uh it only the first time that the vampires will be completely ineffectual. <laughs> uh and we forgot to mention the most important part. When Ralphie comes to Danny's window, okay, he dies in his like pants and shirt and jacket. But when he comes to the window and he's all vamped out, he's wearing vamp jammies. White Victorian pajamas <laughs> for some reason. There are a lot of continuity errors. Uh, the if you I won't go into it, but <laughs> the uh, goofs section on IMDb for this is a. Uh, pretty hilarious <laughs> uh, uh apparently there's a lot of boom mics that i didn't oh. notice but uh if you are going to watch this movie don't recommend it <laughs> read the goof <laughs> if you are going to watch this movie don't yeah. <laughs> uh sign but, up for this three hour one like we did <laughs> well and uh, we watched the three hour one because the i had heard that the one that was edited down to like an hour and 40 minutes made like zero sense at all so we wanted to give it the best chance that we could that is insane to me that yeah when this was released on cbs as a televised miniseries they wanted to make money and it apparently did well somehow um so they decided to cut it into a, a movie length and release it in theaters specifically in europe uh, it was released stateside, but they wanted to make money in Europe. My favorite piece of information is that in Spain, it was retitled Phantasma 2 and <laughs> was, was marketed as a sequel to the movie Phantasm, even though... What? <laughs> if you have seen the movie Phantasm... You know how insane that is. I love the movie Phantasm. Yeah, that upsets me. <laughs> about a crazy, creepy old man with his flying metal balls. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what was I talking about? Vampires. Let's skip ahead. <laughs> Let's skip ahead since literally to, can, the story oh, is unimportant. So, CM, what what you got yeah, for us? Yeah, I loved... Th- okay, we there was one scene that we had to rewind to watch twice. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was so good. It's when... Be- and how far in the movie is this? Do you guys remember? Oh, God. Uh, a thousand hours? <laughs> okay, so a thousand hours in. Ben's returning to his room, and he's just sort of 
me. I went home <laughs> and I went to bed. And left. <laughs> and then I came back and there was still 10 hours left. So he's just putzing around and then he kind of walks over by his bed. And Floyd, Neb, Tibbets, Dibbets, whatever his name is. Neb. His name is Neb. Neb. I have a cold. <laughs> so Floyd bursts out from behind this room divider and just beats the crap out of Ben. <laughs> it was awesome. It was hysterical. And it's such, like, why was that little? And it's not like a normal, it's one of those like, Old Victorian, yeah, like what a three-piece, uh, yeah, the privacy screen, things, privacy yeah. screens, but it's just like leaned up against a wall as though specifically to hide this <laughs> big man that's going to jump out from behind it, and that leads to so, Josh, if your favorite part is that freeze frame, really intense horror scene, yep. my favorite part first presents itself later when Floyd is in jail. And something comes for him. And he opens his mouth in terror to scream. And you're anticipating really feeling this character's anguish. And this isn't going to translate. I wish it would. It's not. He just sort of sticks his tongue out of his mouth. He doesn't scream at all. And so many characters just sort of flop their tongues around lazily. They just like mlet. Like a dumb cat. It's (laughs) their sign of terror is. uh, (laughs) I imagine it was like the like eighth take, and they're just like, "Cut, guys! More tongue when you are scared." Everyone knows that terror comes from the tongue. (laughs) Get it out. Uh, Episode title. And that's our first glimpse of Barlow, right? Yes. Who can't have been killing people up to this point because he has been out of town on a buying trip. (laughs) I forgot. Were you the first one to be turned into a vampire? Yes, she was. This is why. Yeah, because I was like, wait a minute. No, but he's out of... Oh, wait. (laughs) Since this is our first time seeing Barlow, I knew... uh, I've never watched this, but I knew about this particular change. Did you guys? I saw the cover art, so I knew they went more Nosferatu-style vampire than Uh, Anne Rice. Barlow, um, in the book, is obviously a very cultured European man. But in this, he's a straight-up Nosferatu. What what did you guys think of the change? Stupid. I, I feel two ways about it. On the one hand... I'm intrigued because you don't get to see that style of vampire often. Yeah. And I kind of dig it. I like it. I can mm. deal with some like old school Nosferatu style vampires every once in a while. On the other hand, it so severely impeded the actor's ability to speak that they had to make some weird scene choices. And I didn't appreciate that. Should just gone with normal vampire. Yeah. Okay. This is the one thing I want to talk about in this entire fucking movie. Forever? I, I know we all want to talk I about this. Furious. I know exactly what you're talking about. I am fucking furious. The best scene in the entire book. The scene. The scene. Which of we the leap book. into in a very confusing way. Yes. Uh, in the book is the confrontation between Callahan and Barlow in Mark's, uh, in, in the Petrie's home. It is tense, and it is the pinnacle of all of the themes of the book. Faith versus 
uh, versus this evil. It's so unbelievably good. And in the movie, it made us all laugh out loud. <laughs> it really did. Uh, because we we jump into the scene in a way that we also, I think, had to rewind it because we're like, wait, did we miss something? Mm-hmm. Because how did it even start? Sam? What was the scene right before that? It was, some- wasn't it Ben talking to Susan's dad? That's about, right. Yeah, because yeah. they were gonna. They're like starting their plan. Yeah, they're That's going they're to see go to Marjorie morgue. Glick. Yeah. yeah. So the, we we the, cut from that to Father Callahan at the Petrie's home, sitting around the kitchen table, talking to Mark and his parents, and we're like, "Wait a minute, hold on, where did?" And his dad kind of looks like Susan's dad. So at first, I thought it was <laughs> you confused dad them a couple times during this movie. I did. <laughs> I thought that was the only time. Oh, maybe I would have liked this movie better if you corrected me. Yeah, so they, they're sitting around talking, and you're like, hold on, did I miss a scene or something? No. Nope. They're just there talking. And blaming Mark seeing a vision of Danny on his weird room with all of his awesome monsters, which I think is cool, Fair. whatever. Yeah. And then this... Okay. So... <laughs> It's hysterical. The, this scene is worth yeah, watching. The light above the table explodes. And the whole the table, house starts shaking. Yeah, the table and everything in the kitchen is just shaking and making this really bizarre noise that I wouldn't associate with what's going on in the scene. Yeah. And then... It's because Barlow's driving his big rig up to the house. <laughs> and it's shaking everything. And like a chair is flying across the room from nothing. I don't know. Yeah. And then there's this black thing on the floor. Oh, God. And then, this didn't... What the fuck was yeah, that? We Did didn't even know what that... We were like, a window? I don't know how it got there. So it's there. <laughs> and... It's just like a black rug. Yeah, yeah, it looks like black cloth on the floor. And then it starts to move. And I'm like, oh, you know, th- actually, this is kind of neat. I'm, I'm okay with this. And it rises. And it's like this tall figure. And it turns around. And it's goofy fucking Barlow. <laughs> and he gently, like, just mushes together the <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Peach's heads to kill him. He grabs their heads and makes them kiss. And then they're dead. In, in a way that is so obvious that... They like staggered their heads. Yeah. <laughs> so they just pushed them past each other and not even close to what it, it would is, look like. They didn't try it. With all. the force to smash their skulls. It is slow and they do not make contact and it is hysterical. So then Father Callahan jumps up and Mark jumps up and he fumbles his way to Barlow, who fumbles with his, his clumsy giant to, hands. Yeah, like, that the was actor the least clearly smooth. can't move his mouth or right. his arms and hands. I, it's and then Straker walks in and he's like, oh, "That's my and he's favorite like, part." And he's like, "Hey guys, uh, <laughs> how's everybody? How's everybody doing? How y'all, how's everybody doing tonight? Good. All right, dead parents over here. Hey, father." Um, a boss here uh, wants to kill you. He would talk yeah. for himself, but his mouth's all yeah. fucked up, as you can see. I literally had to explain to Josh and Ben that I think the actor can't talk <laughs> around those teeth, <laughs> yep. and that's it's, why Straker's in this scene. Apparently, Barlow, anytime he was trying to act, uh, his makeup would just fall off. What? Oh, my so, gosh. Oh, my yeah. God. So, Straker has to burst in the door as though... He was just waiting outside. <laughs> I like to imagine he was just waiting in the other room like, okay, okay, everything's shaking. This is going great. Like maybe I'm he starts, good. he's like, oh wait, no, no, too, 
<laughs> but yeah, he bursts in and and the speech, the 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 confrontation between Barlow and Callahan goes almost exactly the way it does in the book. Except, except through the mediator that yeah. is Straker, and it completely undoes. Delivered by any this tension actor who we said earlier. <laughs> Did not do the character justice. Right. Yeah, and oh, and Callahan. Sinister. Who did Callahan look like to you? Oh, I because thought not Father Callahan. <laughs> That's a, all I know. A dark-haired, less intriguing O'Brien from Star Trek TNG slash Deep Space Nine. Yep. I that is a hundred percent. As soon as you said that, I was like, "Yep, that's it." I have no idea who that is because I'm not a nerd. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, it just Callahan had been in. One scene, one scene before the this funeral scene and then we have this big what should be a huge climax and nothing he a straker walks over and breaks the cross and then barlow yes. walks Ugh. towards callahan and that's it end. we don't even get that speech about cursing him yeah about his faith we, we don't, don't care get about callahan yeah nothing. in this we version. don't see him get on the bus there's we don't nothing, see any of that yeah there's no development with callahan and you know it would have been great if that cross would have glowed blue, maybe. Yeah. If we could have the the glowing that we established at the beginning of the beginning of the movie could have been in this scene. Yeah, because it means that vampires is, are near. That is yeah. part of what makes that scene is because you watch Callahan lose faith, mm-hmm. and yeah. that is why that scene. That's like what makes it so amazing. But if you didn't read the book and you just watched this, makes you would just no be like, sense. oh, I guess crosses just don't affect him, and like un- undermines that entire thing, and it's just over. Oh, God. It, I think at this point we're like 20 minutes in to a three-hour <laughs> movie. Uh, it's so fucking long and boring. Let's just speed round the end of this piece of shit. Move, <laughs> move, move to the After attack that on scene, the Marston house. Honest to God, I checked out. I, More or less, This yeah. is on you guys. It's- because I was so mad. I was like, no. I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm done reviewing this movie. So some things happen in town and some <laughs> other stuff and then yeah, Susan Parkins is there. Parkins he is runs the worst. Away. Uh, oh, Su- Ben tells Susan to, you know, protect the house and they make this plan and he goes, "Oh, we don't see Matt after he has his heart attack." Oh yeah, Matt's just gone He's, after the heart no attack. There's no Van Helsing. No. Oh shit, I forgot. Yeah, yeah we just never see yeah. him again. Susan, who is supposed to be at home with her mom getting ready to skip town, presumably. Yeah. Mm. She goes to the Marston house for a reason. Yep. And yeah, that is not <laughs> for, for a reason. And she's looking at it. And then she's about to leave for another reason. And then she sees like the trees or shrubs moving. And she sees Mark. And so he's got his stake and she realizes, oh crap, this kid's gonna get killed. Mm. So she runs after him. They go into the house. And the, the, for a split second, I think, okay, we're getting back on track. <laughs> Look at Mark being a badass. Like, and they get into this house, and there's actually kind of a cool sequence of, like, her walking through. Like we've said, the mm-hmm. interior set of the Marston's house is pretty dope. And it's some unique shots. Gross. And, yeah, there are these shots of her, like, exploring, and then you'll see... Mark run by on the banister overhead and uh, with stakes out. That was my favorite shot. Although we don't get that awesome scene where he kills 
uh, Straker, and then Straker has to be killed by Barlow. They really, for as much time as they spent on all the rest of the movie, they really rushed the ending. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, everyone, it goes so quick. (laughs) They find a rats in the eye drawer <laughs> uh, they look at all the all the spooky uh, decorations and then they get caught and susan gets tied up and we don't see her again uh or do we <laughs> oh yeah it well and then, and then mark escapes his he's tied up and yeah. he escapes but then we get to what's insane and that's when her dad and ben show up and they're like looking around and uh, her dad goes upstairs, and <laughs> the, what's what's great is that uh, we had the, this uh, striker comes out, and uh, it's just like grabs him. Well, right oh. right before he grabbed him, though, I don't remember which one of us said it, but it was it? actually right before this. Uh, CM's husband oh, had just yeah. joined us. <laughs> uh, he, he had not been watching the rest of this train wreck with us, but he comes out, and striker pops out. And <laughs> Sam's husband goes, so is that guy just human? And we're like, oh, yeah, he's just a human. (laughs) As Straker grabs Susan's dad's by the shoulder and just lifts him off the ground. (laughs) No effort. Just casual as hell. Grabs him, lifts him straight up in the air, and And starts walking down the hall with him. In real time. In real time. Toward a wall of antlers. (laughs) He is not a big dude. Straker is described as this big imposing dude no he's, he's kind of man. a he's kind he's... of a chubby british guy yeah, yeah. and yeah, he picks him up and walks slowly down the hall and deposits him on a wall of antlers which impale him and he dies yep. and we also get a Hilarious. real time right before that we see her dad walking up the steps there yes. are a lot of steps yeah and he walks up Every single one of them. <laughs> and Straker walks down. Straker walks every down. Every single, every single one, one of them. While being shot by Ben with a gun. And then he he doesn't... Does he do the tongue thing? Uh, he might. I, like <laughs> I said, I checked out He dies. Point. He near, almost makes it all the way down to the stairs. Yeah, he had like two stairs to go. And then he just lays down. Then he, he doesn't even fall. He like drops his weapon and then casually kind of lays down on the stair and then reaches for the banister and dies. Yeah. Like, like oh, oh, that banister. Right. But we did get the fact that like they run to the basement and you see the door open in darkness <laughs> and Mark just one stair, two stair, fall into darkness. <laughs> Best thing and that actor I did. laughed so hard. Uh, no knives. No, no knives, knives Because we no. got that with the antler wall. Yeah. yeah. So Mark is alive. Ben hops down. They see the door. They open the door to find the, what did you call it, Ben? What did I call it? Oh, the, the, wicker. the, the wicker, the wicker. No, I called it a wicker casket. Uh, you yeah. had a better word for oh, it. Oh, uh, it's all the, uh, <laughs> Barlow's casket is just <laughs> made out of wicker. Uh, and I assumed it was made by Longenberger. Yeah, it looks like one of those, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. like one really of those fancy, expensive, real high end. You want to impress somebody? Picnic by one of those, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and God, do we even need to go by the blow by blow? No, they no. drag him out and they kill straight uh, Barlow. But nothing glows. Oh, they cares? drop the they drop Ben drops the holy water before they open the door on the ground. Yeah. And that's for no reason. Like, did they just not have the budget to make that effect on the door? Uh, uh, yes. But then, they, this oh. is the coolest thing though, is that they, they pull the casket out, they open it and they see him 
And Mark <laughs> walks over and looks down and he's like, Mark, don't look! And then throws <laughs> him, like shoves him face so first hard. into a table. And he falls over. And the, the hole they pulled him out of, it's, he's like sitting next to it and he's like holding his head. <laughs> he is so not in danger in any, in any way. way. And Ben literally goes, Mark, no! And just... <laughs> fucking power bombs Mark through a table. It's... And you know why they did that. <laughs> they did it to set up an actual really cool, cool shot. shot, which they could have found a better way to do. That is so true. Mark is sitting on the floor, probably wondering, why did he react that way? <laughs> and and Ben raises the stake, hits the light fixture above him. So which that's swinging. I thought was hilarious at first, because I'm like, oh, they used that shot? Yeah, right. it looked like a mistake. Bonks but then this over, like, as yeah, he's killing... Barlow, you it cuts back and forth between him and Ben, or I'm sorry, him and Mark, and you see sort of as the light's swinging, you got to catch these glimpses of all the other townspeople who are in that space behind that door, slowly crawling towards Mark. Oh, that so part, cool. It's like only that cool part. part of the movie. So we spent the last five minutes of this movie as things are wrapping up and we're seeing uh, they set the house on fire and then we flash back to the beginning of the movie where they're somewhere in Mexico mm-hmm. and we're like wait a minute did they just burn Susan alive because this all happened in one afternoon as yep. they were about ready to stake Barlow the sun went down mm-hmm. so Susan was captured and going to be taken to him but he wouldn't have been up yet to turn her into a vampire so we assumed that she's tied up in the house somewhere and they just don't know and they set it on fire But then, of course, she comes back somehow. She finds them in Mexico, and I don't know how she managed to turn into a vampire. No idea. She's a vampire and doesn't look anything like any of the other vampires. Looks like just a very beautiful woman. The the vampire rules are, they really play fast and loose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because, like, the scene with Ned Floyd in the jail, (laughs) where Barlow just waves his hand and unlocks the jail cell without being let in. Whatever. Whatever. So anyway, Ben stakes Susan and... (laughs) And no one cares. End of the movie. (laughs) And then Um, everyone moves on with their life. Well, the crazy thing to me is it it ends with this, he stakes Susan, and then he goes to Mark and he's like, there'll be more of them. And uh, he had said at the beginning of the movie, you know, they've found us again as though they were being chased. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently, like I said earlier, this miniseries went really well. Apparently, CBS intended this to be a pilot. Oh. Oh, God. They wanted this to be a TV series of, I guess, Mark and Ben traveling the world hunting vampires. I, I see why they made that change then. Yeah. And I'm I'm okay with that. Although I'm glad it didn't turn out. Yeah, no it kidding. would not have been good. Just like the rest of this goddamn movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, guys. I feel like we have been here for literally three days. Yeah, so. I, I like you guys, but I want you to leave my house. <laughs> I need to rest after this. Let's get to our ratings Josh, Um, knock it out of the park. I thought long and hard about this rating. And we've talked about our how how we define our our scale of ratings plenty of times. Um, And I never thought this would happen. 
Uh, but this miniseries did so many things that are just blatantly offensive to the source material and a bastardization of some of the greatest things about this book to a book that I only gave three blue chambray shirts to because <laughs> it was good, but I didn't like love it. Right. And I am deeply I can only imagine if I loved this book, how <laughs> deeply offended I would be. And for that reason, I'm giving the Salem's Lot movie a one blue chambray <laughs> shirt out of five. Fair. Uh, CM, would you like to go? My rating scale, for some reason, is different. That's one way to put it. Well, my profession is different, so my rating scale makes sense. (laughs) That's fair. A three, for example, is just didn't love it, didn't hate it, kind of, it exists. Mm -hmm. And Salem's Lot, the miniseries for me, exists. It doesn't (laughs) offend me. But I would not watch it again. I hope I don't ever have to. God, no. So I would have to give it three out of five blue chambray shirts. Lowest yet? Well, for a movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good job, Sienna. Although I I, I almost want to retroactively go back and give the book four out of five blue (laughs) chambray shirts. Because, okay. (laughs) Um, That's funny because I had the same thought that I wanted to retroactively change my rating for the book except in the other direction. This miniseries was so bad, it retroactively made me like the book more. Okay. So what would would your new rating of the book be? uh, Probably also four. I I believe I gave it a 3.5 blue chambray shirts, and I'd give it a solid four. Because, just because there's so many parts of the book, when they're retracted, I was like, no, that's integral to the story that's i wanted to see that Mm -hmm. and so i i would have to give this i i'm gonna say two because it's bad uh but it it gave us a few laughs uh (laughs) it was way too long uh but i i don't regret watching it like i did something like apt people so two out of five blue chambray shirts yeah, that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please join us for our next episode as we do the first half of our next book, Revival. So if you are going to be reading along, please read chapters one through chapter seven. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan, reminding you that that house was a monument to evil, sitting all these years holding the essence of evil in its smoldering bones. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Salem's Lot Part 3. Obviously, we didn't enjoy the movie, but if you did, tell us how wrong we are on our Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. And send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com because we love to hear from you. In addition to the three-hour miniseries and the shortened version, there's a sequel called Return to Salem's Lot, and in 2004, a remake of the original starring Rob Lowe. And this is interesting because the movie opens with Ben Mears attacking Father Callahan in a homeless shelter in Detroit, with apparently very good reason. From what I can gather of the plot without having seen this one, it looks like it might be a more faithful adaptation of the book. Why in the world didn't we watch this instead? Well, listeners, if you liked this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us out immensely, and we would really appreciate it. 
Thanks to all of you who have already taken the time to do that. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.